Um, welcome to our adult class today. It's uh, the Puritans on marriage. Puritans on marriage. And uh, there's a few of these videos that we're showing, actually, that I was responsible for. So it's a little awkward because I never watch myself. <laughs> but anyway, rather than just lecture it to you, I thought we'd just continue the series and um, I'll add a few thoughts afterward. But I want to read Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let's pray. Lord God, please bless this presentation of the Puritan view of marriage. May those who are married learn much from it, and may those who are not married learn much from it for the possibility when they might become married. And above all, let all thy people gathered here learn much from it about their relationship with our Lord. For we know that marriage is just a shadow, just a type of the love relationship between Christ and the church. So may there be something in this topic for everyone that we might all learn and profit from in this next half hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, thank you.
Well, this lecture is about the Puritan view of marriage. The Puritans actually had a very high view of marriage, unlike the ancient church, the medieval church, and a bit even the reformers. The reformers, the magisterial reformers, like Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, did end up all getting married, and they had wonderful spouses, and God blessed them, but they wrote very little about it. They were dealing with the major issues of justification by faith alone, authority of the church, preaching, and so on. The Puritans took all Reformation doctrines and brought it home to the, the home, the individual marriage, family, work, and so on. And so the idea that marriage was somehow a lower status in the Christian life compared to medieval Roman Catholicism or the ancient church, or that sex within marriage, for example, was something you just had to do but was inherently sinful, the Puritans turned that, those ideas on their head. The whole idea of a healthy, loving Christian marriage that honors God and the man is faithful to his wife within his own home and raises a family in the fear of God. That, that whole idea of the normal Christian family, Christian home that we take for granted today is really bequeathed to us in large measure by the Puritans. So the Puritans had a high definition of marriage. Listen to Richard Baxter. "'Tis a mercy to have a faithful friend that loves you entirely, to whom you may open your mind and communicate all your affairs." And it's a mercy to have so near a friend to be a helper to your soul and to stir you up in all the graces of God. Now, not, not all Puritans had such good definitions of marriage. John Cotton had a very weak one, actually. He said, women are creatures without which there's no comfortable living for man. It is true of them what is prone to be said of governments that bad ones are better than none. Though some call them a necessary evil, Cotton went on to say, I call them a necessary good. Well, that's not a great definition. But Baxter and many others trump those definitions with very healthy definitions and concepts of marriage. Now, basically, there's four areas we need to cover if we're going to get an overview of the Puritan view of marriage. The purposes of marriage, the procedures, the principles, and the practices. Purposes, procedures, principles, and practices. The Puritans advocated three purposes of marriage, just like the Anglicans did just before them, and the Reformers as well. In the Book of Common Prayer of the Church of England, they're listed this way, the procreation of children, the restraint and remedy of sin, and thirdly, mutual society help and comfort for each other. The early Puritan books on marriage followed that same order, just injected more content into it. Later Puritan books on marriage, by the 1640s, and also by the time of the Westminster Confession of Faith, made number three, number one, number one, number two, and number two, number three. So now, the Westminster Confession, for example, says, 24.2, marriage was ordained, number one, for the mutual help of husband and wife. Number two, for the increase of mankind and the church with a holy seed. And number three, for the preventing of uncleanness. 
So in a Puritan mind, as they studied the scriptures, especially Genesis 2, they came to the conclusion that under God, our greatest goal in marriage is to serve to one another's benefit, to be a mutual help to one another, both in things that belong to this life and a better life to come. The supreme purpose always, of course, for the Puritans was the glory of God. But under God, you're to live in your marriage like a beautiful triangle where God is the top point, husband and wife are the lower points, and you live within that triangular commitment one to another. Now what about the procedures for marriage? Well, the Puritans said there's really six steps. The first period is getting to know, like, and love each other. That's procedure number one. And you did that by visiting each other's homes and getting to know each other's families because the Puritans said when you marry someone, you marry into their family. Number two was a contract of espousals, which in today's language would be like a very, very strong engagement in which you actually went in front of your minister and said some vows. You couldn't break an espousal without having it be regarded very distastefully by the people. And so they got that idea from Lot's daughters and from Mary who were spoken of in scripture as being contracted to their uh, spouses even though they had no sexual relations as yet. Thirdly, the contract was informally announced to the church on three successive Sundays to make sure no one had any lawful objections. And fourthly, the marriage was publicly solemnized in a religious ceremony, similar to what we would do today. Fifthly, the reception afterward, what we call a reception, for them was just feasting at the groom's home, some ordinary food, and there they would exchange a variety of uh, non-risque jokes and quizzes and some kind of uh, wholesome entertainment. And then sixth, the marriage was not considered valid until it was consummated through sexual intercourse. Now thirdly, what about the principles for marriage? Well, the Puritans advocated the two major biblical principles. The first and the most major one in their mind was the Christ Church principle. William Googe, who wrote the classic uh, book on, on marriage called Domestical Duties, Marriage and Family, spends 133 pages just walking through Paul's Ephesians 5 directions of the Christ Church relationship. And basically what he says is this, you as a man, you first of all must love your wife absolutely. He's referring to verse uh, 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So you're to love her entirely. Secondly, you're to love her purposely. Verse 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now, there's not a lot of men walking around today who can say, I married my wife because I wanted to wash her by the word so that on the day of judgment, she would be entirely clean before God. But that's what the Puritans said should motivate you to want to marry someone as a man. 
You want your wife to be able to stand before God in the day of judgment and say, because I was married to this man, I was made more holy in this life. I was brought closer to Jesus Christ. Third, you're to love your life, your wife realistically. You're to love your wife realistically. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You see, the Puritans realized that to marry is to marry a sinner. And therefore, you should not expect too much of marriage. No man or no woman can meet all of their spouse's needs. Only Jesus can do that. Everyone will have so-called spots or wrinkles. So you must realize that and you must love your spouse realistically. And then lastly, you must love your wife sacrificially. Verses 28 and 29 where it says, You need to love her as you would your own body. If you've got something in your eye as a man, you don't just say, well, I'm a macho guy. I'm going to deal with that tomorrow. No, you go to a mirror or you try to get it out right away. So a man must treat his wife tenderly as he would his own body. And then the Puritans also operated out of the covenantal principle. And what that means is, as Edmund Morgan defines it this way, Every proper marriage since the first was founded on a covenant to which the free and voluntary consent of both parties were necessary. And they base that on Malachi 2.14, where God calls marriage a covenant between two people. And then Morgan goes on to say, Since time began, no man and woman had ever been allowed to fix the terms upon which they would agree to be husband and wife. God establishes the rules of marriage, when he solemnized the first one, and he has made no changes in them since then. So the covenant of marriage in the Puritan mind was a promise to obey God's scriptural rules without conditions and without reservations. J.I. Packer put it so well when he said, the Puritans went to Genesis for the institution of marriage, to Ephesians for its full meaning, to Leviticus for its hygiene, to Proverbs for its management, to several New Testament books for its ethic, and to Esther, Ruth, and the Song of Songs for illustrations and exhibitions of the ideal. So those are the two principles. Your church uh, Christ principle, where the Christ is to, you're, you're as a man, you're to love your wife the way Christ loves the church, And, by the way, that means also you as a woman are to respect and show submission to your husband the way the church shows it to Jesus Christ. So where the husband loves his wife, submission ought to be, the Puritan said, easy work as a wife respects her husband and responds to his love with sweet respect and submission. Christ's church principle covenantal principle. Now, finally, you have the practices or duties of marriage. The Puritans divide this in three categories. Mutual duties, husband's duties, wife's duties. Under mutual duties, the primary duty is love. And they give three aspects of it, often. The first is spiritual. The spiritual love must prevail. 
in a marriage. You must love your wife, building your home together with her by using the spiritual disciplines, loving the triune God in and through them. So you must read the scriptures together, sing psalms together, observe the Lord's Day together, partake of the sacraments together, pray for and with each other. You see, love that is built on physical appearance or human gifts only, says the Puritan William Waitley, will be building a marriage on a sandy foundation and can be easily blown down by any storm. But spiritual love that looks upon God, rests upon His will, yields to His commandments, resolves to obey them, cannot change itself because the cause of that love is unchangeable. Second, marital love must be superlative. That is, a husband and wife must love each other more than they love anyone else on earth and must give more time to each other than to anyone else on earth, therefore, as well. And finally, marital love must not only be spiritual and superlative, but also sexual. The Puritans were the first group of writers in church history who agreed that sexual love was one's due debt to one's spouse. Due benevolence, William Perkins called it, where two people were to give their bodies to each other and enjoy the act of so doing. Perkins says, they are to have a singular and entire affection one towards another by the right and lawful use of their bodies in the marriage bed. This holy usage, says Perkins, should be a holy and undefiled action sanctified by the word in prayer. So the Puritans were romantics within marriage. Uh, Thomas Hooker writes a letter, for example, to his wife, as a traveling pastor in New England. And uh, he's romantic in that letter. He puts it rather quaintly in the third person, but if you picture for a moment, you women, that you're, you're Mrs. Hooker and you're, you've got a cup of coffee in your hand <laughs> one morning and you're enjoying your coffee and you get a letter from your husband, you open it up and this is what he writes, you'd be rather pleased. Quote, The man whose heart is endeared to the woman he loves, he dreams of her in the night has her in his eye in apprehension when he awakes, muses on her as he sits at table, walks with her when he travels, and parleys with her, that is, flirts with her, in each place where he comes. Hooker's saying, that's what I'm doing while I'm out traveling, preaching. I'm thinking of you, my dear. And then he concludes his letter this way, she lies in his bosom, and his heart trusts in her, which loves all within him to confess, and forces all to confess, that the streams of his affection, like a mighty current, run with full tide and strength toward her. Well, Mrs. Hooker, you'll be very pleased with your husband's letter, I trust. And husbands are to delight in their wives. That's their primary duty, to really delight in their wives, even to the point of doting, never to reprove them except when absolutely necessary and then always judiciously and lovingly at the appropriate time. And wives are to assist their husbands. They're to be help meets in business, in labors, in troubles, in sickness, like a woman physician, said Henry Smith. So marriage, you see, in the Puritan mind, with two people helping one another 
loving one another under God, under the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Thomas Gadiger summarizes all of this when he says this, and with this I conclude. There is no society more near, more entire, more needful, more kindly, more delightful, more comfortable, more constant, more continual than the society of man and wife, the main root, source, and original of all other societies. And yet, as the Puritans always did, keeping an eye on eternity more than anything else, the Puritans shared Gadiger's longing that, quote, having lived together for a time as co-partners in grace here, may we reign together forever as co-heirs in glory hereafter, married supremely to Jesus Christ for all eternity. That's the Puritan view of marriage. It typifies the eternal utopian marriage in the Lord Jesus Christ in glory where both partners will be without spots and wrinkles, sin-free, united to Christ forever, where all good is walled in and all evil is walled out forever. Okay, I'm going to add just... um Two, two comments the time is ticking. So uh, I want to say just an extra word about superlative love. Um, that's the word Puritans use for your supreme dedication to your spouse. Um, William Waitley, who wrote two books on marriage. By the way, the Puritans wrote 29 books on marriage altogether. And... Uh, James LaBelle and I had the privilege of reading them, and we co-authored a book called Living in a Godly Marriage, which brings the wisdom of those 29 books, which if you were to find them on the used book market, by the way, would cost you about $75,000. And we've got it now available in contemporary language as a summary for $8 in one paperback book. So obviously you're going to want to buy that book. Um, The... uh, so we, we brought these 29 books into, into one book, and, and we want to show you in that book that the Puritans are really light years ahead of us in terms of how they, how they view marriage uh, in such a biblical framework. And purposefully, purposefully, intentionally discipline themselves joyfully to live in accordance with the, the biblical principles. So too often today, when there's marital difficulties as a counselor, what I experience all the time, have for 42 years, is that when people come to you, usually one, if not both people, are, are, are really discontent with what the other person is doing instead of focusing on, on what they should be doing and really don't intentionally live with this superlative love. Now, the superlative love means this that you spend your highest quality time with your spouse. You treat your spouse better than you treat anybody else. Um, you, don't, you don't do the opposite like so many marriages. Well, treat really, really kind to people outside your home. Then inside your home, you're nasty and 
blurt out things you shouldn't be saying. No, this is your most special relationship in this world. Why would you do that? That's what the Puritans would say to you. Um, you your words are kind and you don't degrade your spouse. And, and then you organize, Puritans were for organizing their lives. You organize your other relationships underneath that superlative relationship. So how much time do you spend with your two sets of parents if you have two sets of parents still? Well, Puritans would say, if possible, they're within driving distance, we'd say today, you should spend about an equal amount of time with both sets of parents. That's your duty to honor them. But that's not, no longer your superlative relationship. Your superlative relationship is with your wife. But your parents are second. And then you've got your, your children, of course, which are a very key relationship. Actually, I don't know if they say that parents are ahead of the children, but in a way they, they do because you, you owe them honor all the time. But in terms of time and attention, of course, the children would be uh, in second place. But they would say this, that by putting your spouse in the first place, you are doing one of the wisest things you can do for your children so that the children grow up seeing that mom and dad really love each other and put each other in the first place. So sometimes you hear people say things like this today. Oh, well, uh, we never, we never, never get a babysitter because we just, you know, we don't want to trust our children to another babysitter. And we don't want to leave our kids at all alone. Well, well, wait a minute. Your kids need to see, not, not, every other day, but they need to see from time to time that you do have those special date nights with your spouse, that you love each other, that you need time alone. They need to understand that so that when they become of courting or dating age and be married one day, they have a pattern to follow. Mom and dad love each other like crazy, so that's what I expect in marriage as well. So that's key. Superlative relationship, then you've got the parents, you've got the children, and then you've got friends, closer friends that you want to spend some time yet with, other acquaintances that you hardly have any time left to spend with. But those closer friends, that's a tier below it, you see. And you have an agreement with your spouse. How often? You know, am I going to go out with the guys once, once a month to play a game or something, you know, play basketball or something? Maybe your wife wants to go out with the, the girls once a month to you know, go out for a meal and, and chat for a while. So you, you just, you organize your life that way. And it's not that it's totally rigid, but you avoid, when you have this superlative concept, you avoid, of course, um, the problem where the guy's going out two, three nights a week with his friends and neglecting his wife or, vi or vice versa. <laughs> so that's the <coughs> superlative principle they're talking about. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was the mutual duties. I, I ran out of time here. I had to cut some stuff out. But I just want to read you one paragraph, and then I'll be done. Um, the, this is a collection of mutual duties I found in these 29 books. Be faithful to each other. Help each other in every conceivable way. Seek each other's spiritual growth. Of course, they have a page or two on each of these. Heal each other's faults. Steer each other away from sin. Pray for one another. Compliment 
each other every day, appreciate one another, keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace with one another, never speak harshly to one another, never provoke each other, show kindness to each other, overlook each other's minor faults, cultivate true friendship, take an interest in each other, be sympathetic to each other in times of distress, sickness, and weakness, promote each other's reputation, never speak ill of each other in the presence of others, be confidential, not revealing each other's secrets, be industrious in your respective callings, working diligently as a team for each other, for your family, and in hospitality to others, especially for the poor. And manage your money judiciously. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot of things. And uh, what the Puritans would say is, it's very important to be working at all those things and to do that intentionally so you don't contradict these things and disrupt the marital bond. Okay? Let's have a prayer. Gracious God, we pray that thy benediction would rest upon us and that those of us who are married would seek thy face and seek to live intentionally the Christ Church and the covenantal principle following various biblical practices and duties that would uh, stir up more and more love rather than work against it. So please be near to those of us who are married, be with those in difficult or challenging or troubled marriages. Help them, Lord, restore them and be near to them and be with singles. Uh, Prepare them to be godly spouses for another if the time would so be and thou wouldst bring them to meet as the great heavenly matchmaker, the right person for them. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a 